Hello, everyone. I'm Eric D'Souza, and you're listening to Crime Writers of Canada's podcast, where we discuss all things fiction with crime writing authors from coast to coast. Uh, joining me today is Carolyn Topjian. How are you today? Good. Doing good. Thanks, Eric. Carolyn is a suspense writer and author of two graphic novels, The Hitman's Daughter and the follow-up The Black Moth. She has also published short fiction in Prism International, Dreamers Magazine, and Firewords Quarterly. She has an interdisciplinary PhD from York University and serves as a professor in the Faculty of Media and Creative Arts at Humber College in Toronto. So Carolyn, in the bio, you say that you're a gothic thriller writer. And I think maybe the first question I should ask you is what is your definition of gothic? You know, funny enough, I've always loved and written gothics, but I didn't actually know it until fairly recently. Like, it's almost embarrassing to admit, but it was probably within the last, like, five years that I even understood that I was in love with and writing gothics my whole life, (laughs) you know, because I never studied English literature. So I don't have that background of really knowing, you know, what's what genre-wise, other than just as a reader. So... Um, I did look into it and I was like, oh my God, yes, yes, this is what I'm writing. This is it. It's Gothic. Um, So I, as I have understood it, like Gothic has always existed in like all cultures all over the world. But, you know, the term itself comes from sort of the English romantics in Europe, like 18th century, where you have like, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. It goes like beyond the 18th century, obviously, but you've got like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, things like that. Um, So thematically, they're really existential, like they're asking existential questions. So it has that bit of like, woe is me melodrama that's always fun to read. And it's they're very atmospheric. Like originally the term came from the fact that they were set in like gothic manners. Like so the architecture was like really important atmospherically and the setting is a character in the gothic. Um, so there's that. And then there's, again, like the weather plays a big role because, you know, it's about these like questions of like mortality. And and that's why there's so many hauntings and ghosts in gothics. Um, I once heard one writer describe it as a girl in a house, which I always love that description. Like a gothic is a girl in a house. And then you have like things like Jane Eyre, of course, you know, like, so it's, it's this idea where you have... Um, not always, but sometimes a female, a young female protagonist, and they're trying to like escape something, understand something, and it has to do with like that human, that human connection. And like, what is it? Like, what is it to be human? That big question, right? When I think classic gothic, I usually think Rebecca. Oh, yeah. Again, another classic girl in the house. <laughs> yeah, girl in the house. Exactly. It's a great, when I heard that, I was like, that's a great description. Yeah, there's quite a few of them. For sure. Uh, yeah, because I remember sort of growing up in Gothic in the 80s. Maybe wasn't that. So maybe what the Gothic that's coming around now is a little bit more of the classic Gothic, more than just, like you said, the melodrama. Yeah, there's so many variations. Like it started off as Gothic horror and then it kind of branched out into like you hear, you hear like like the romantic Gothic stuff. And like So it has all these like subgenres now. Um, and certainly there's like the contemporary Gothic. But yeah, the 80s makes me think of like Anne Rice, right? Like Interview with the Vampire and like that whole like thing. And yeah, lots of the vampire stories are definitely fall within the gothic. Like you get that haunting, you get like the creepy atmospheric stuff. 
And that's like what the vampire is doing, really. Like, it's this question of like, what the mortality, like our mortality, right? It's questioning, it's questioning existence and bringing out the terror of that. It's like an existential crisis. That's what the Gothic is, basically. It's like going like, oh my God, I'm going to die, you know, and working through that. Uh, yeah, and I get it. I've never thought of it as existential, but now that you say it, because yeah, it's more than just life, right? That's part yeah, of it too. Like, like Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like all of those like classics. It's all about like, why does Frankenstein create his monster, right? It's about mortality. It's about, it's like, you can't deal with the fact that someone has, that you loved has died, right? Or, or you know, it's often there's a um, trope of mourning in these, in these Gothic novels. So. Yeah. Uh, I also read somewhere, and uh, I apologize because I can't quote where I read this, uh, but you described your novels as feminist gothic. So is there a difference between classic gothic and what you write? Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously back when it originated or the further back you go, um, you know, women's lives were very different. Their role in society was very different. So oftentimes in like the old school gothics and the classic gothics, you have the damsel in distress trope. Like that's like usually like I, um, I think I was mentioning to you earlier before we started recording, like there's a lot of fainting, like, like <laughs> it's that, that idea where um, the, the female protagonist, it's usually like a young girl an inexperienced, like young woman, let's say uh, like Rebecca. Right. And um, she really has like, even though she drives the plot in the story and she's still making choices and all of that, she's a, she's a damsel in distress. Like she doesn't really um, fight and defend herself and she doesn't have like a feminist mentality, let's say. Um, So she's taken advantage of things like that. Right. And, and she, she has this innocence that's, that's used against her. Um, The contemporary, I think feminist gothics, like the ones that I write, um, even though you still have that young woman, certainly in like the hitman's daughter, she still can like, she doesn't like take crap, you know, like she's not going to faint on you. Right. And so she's still quite capable um, in the way that we hope, you know, all humans are and certainly women in the 21st century that like she can, she can take care of herself. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but let's talk a little bit about your character then and um, explain how, uh, I guess she views the world. I don't think I'm giving anything away. If we say in the hitman's daughter, her father's a hitman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, she's dealing with um, what's it, the Chateau de Ciel. Um, yeah. I guess her ancestral home, uh, which I don't, I'm not giving anything away to say that it's probably haunted yeah. <laughs> or considered to be haunted. Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about Maeve and what she has to deal with. Um, I think that Maeve, you know, again, she's the perfect sort of like feminist gothic character because she is, she follows the same trope as in like, she's young and she's experienced and she's trying to like find herself and figure out life. Um, she's got secrets she's running away from, but because she's the daughter of a hitman, she has like this almost unwanted involuntary skill set where her father has taught her. Um, the workings of the criminal world. And just even physically, she's a pretty small woman. Um, She's short and doesn't weigh a lot. Um, So, you know, she's got like that, that girlishness to her. So 
her father has taught her, you know, mixed martial arts. So she, she's like, you know, she can take down, um, you know, let's say like a security guard officer and stuff. So it's, it's that nice contrast of you expect her to be all demure and, and not really capable. And she doesn't want to hurt anyone either. So she still maintains that innocence, right? She doesn't, she doesn't want to fight. She doesn't want to, you know, do these things. But if you back her into a corner, she's sort of like, well, you know, sort of instinctive then that she's going to you know, maybe give you a drop kick or two. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Cause you often slip in the, as she's talking, usually to males of she's thinking about her attack. If she has to attack, it's just like, yeah. Oh, he's exposed his nose. <laughs> or yeah, is there that's like, yeah. That's like her mental training. Like it's just, she goes right. Like, you know, since a very, very young age, her father trained her to like defend herself against attackers. Cause obviously he's, he's a hitman. Like he lives in a, in a dangerous world. So that's like her, her mental cue when she feels threatened by men who do obviously threaten her. In, in the so it comes in handy. <laughs> um, I've also read, and we've chatted before uh, that originally hitman's daughter was meant to be a standalone mm-hmm. and Eventually, I guess you couldn't help yourself. You wrote The Black Moth, which is a follow-up. So I was wondering what about the story made you want to write more? Um, you know, it's a couple of things. I love endings that are ambiguous. Um, I love, um, you know, not so ambiguous that like you're left confused, but ambiguous in that it's almost like a choose your own adventure where you can be like, did this happen or did that happen? And oh my God, it's like that final little twist that I love. And you probably know I love twists. Um, so when I first read, when I first wrote uh, The Hitman's Daughter, it had that little, just little tiny suggestion of ambiguity at the end. Um, but the character of of Holden Frost he was almost like a scene stealer and he definitely had his own very rich backstory. So um, the response I got from like my editor um, and others were like that they wanted more. I was like, but no, you can't, you can't leave it like that. Like, um, and book two, Black Moth is very much diving into Holden's story. Who is Holden Frost? And like, like what is Holden Frost? Right. And it's, so that kind of, developed out of that sort of love of ambiguous endings. Um, yeah. And that's how I ended up writing it into originally a, a standalone became a series. Um, well, as someone who is currently reading black moth, I'm happy that you wrote the follow-up. Um, <laughs> I, I think I told you too, um, when we met the first time you were about to launch your audiobooks, and I was like, I can't wait. Like, I'm going to wait till the audiobooks come out. And as I'm listening to it, um, I think something I enjoy a lot about your writing is there's almost a sense of poetry to it. Uh, there's sometimes there's repetition. You write very beautiful creative similes, which I think is very hard to do nowadays because it's hard not to be cliche uh, and write good ones. Uh, so I was wondering, do you have a background in poetry? I don't. I don't. I don't have a background in poetry or writing. Um, I took one creative writing class when I was like an undergrad um, in university and my teacher at the time, actually funny enough, um, told me that like my prose was meh and that I should stick to poems, <laughs> even though I really wanted to write novels. <laughs> he shall go unmentioned. I won't, I won't name the famous Canadian author who was my professor at the time. Anyway. Um, 
Yeah. So um, I don't, but I am. I'm uh, I'm very musical. Like I I can sing, and I actually used to be the, the lead singer of a band back in my twenties. Um, so I think part of it is like listening to to songs and hearing the musicality and the rhythm of of music. Um, it carries over into my writing, and that's just something that you know I've always kind of done and gravitated. I love lyrical writing. Yeah, I think that makes sense now a little bit because I'm listening to your story, and so maybe I'm picking up. Yeah. the rhythm of the, of that story that, or the music of it. So, I mean, poetry is music and yeah. music is poetry. So I, yeah. I think I'm picking up on that. And uh, I sort of really enjoy audio books right now. I just, this is the way I like to consume mm. my books. And Yeah. And a shout out to Lindsay Dorcas, who does like the narration and she's the voice actor and she's amazing. Right. So yeah. yes. Yeah. She's fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. She's, she's bringing it to life. So, you know, I owe a lot to her narration as well. Yeah, it becomes a partnership. Um, I mean, good voice actors make a good audiobook. So it's two parts. Um, I think I was telling you also before, I mean, at one point, Maeve meets this gruffy um, mechanic. Yeah. Uh, and she does the voice like perfect. I was like, wow, well done. Kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, it's always a challenging one because I made him out to have like the the wrestler voice, you know, the wrestler on steroids. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard anyone, Eric, who talks like that. I once met a man in real life who had that voice. I was like, seriously, is that your voice? Like, as if there's like a bag of marbles in his throat, right? And really low in breath. Like, it is like, wow. Well, it's really interesting. So when you write your characters, do you, do you hear their voice? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm very visual too. So, um, so it's like a movie in my head that, you know, with the audio, of course. So, yeah, I can hear them. You have a lot on your website too, um, access to some of your shorter works. So uh, I'm enjoying your website also, but uh, I guess it's always tradition to ask you what you're working on now. Um, I'm feeling really, really excited right now. I was um, lucky enough to get a very um, small micro grant from the Mississauga Arts Council. Thank you so much, Mississauga Arts Council. And I'm working on a standalone psychological thriller um, with the help of uh, the other psychological thriller author, uh, Kristen Bird. So I'm excited to bring you hopefully something uh, you know, in the next year or so. As we know, traditional publishing is very slow, but uh, hopefully you'll see a, a new standalone for me coming out in the next year. I can't wait. And I hope they make that into an audiobook also. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> On top of listening to audiobooks, lately I've been listening to plenty of podcasts specifically podcasts about producing successful podcasts. One piece of advice that I tried last week was to ask our listeners that if they enjoyed the show, to please like and leave comments in whichever platform you heard this from. And surprisingly, and happily, our total downloads last week skyrocketed. So, I guess I better do it again. It's always a pleasure chatting with Canadian authors and promoting their work. If you enjoy this content and like hearing from them, please like this episode, subscribe to the show, and tell your friends all about it. Thanks so much, and thank, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks.